0: Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is
1: Sheila. This is Monica.
0: This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go.
1: You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Thanks for being here today. I'm Leanne Dolan, and this is one of our special Satellite Sisters WordWrite Festival podcasts. What is that, you may ask? Well, that's our special series of author interviews we do every summer here at Satellite Sisters. We like to highlight some of the work of some of our favorite authors, authors who may be new to you, authors who may be established bestsellers, authors who make us laugh, make us cry, make us think. It's a pleasure to speak to writers about their writing, and that's what we do on the Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. Uh, normally, if you're new to Satellite Sisters, maybe you're a Matthew Quick fan because that's who we're talking to today. Maybe you're a Matthew Quick fan and you just happened upon this podcast. We have been doing this for 15 years. You can find hundreds of Satellite Sister podcasts to download at iTunes, at Stitcher, or at SatelliteSisters.com. We are glad to have you. I'm hosting today alone. Normally, I do the show with my four other sisters, but I'm the one that usually handles these special author interviews, mainly because I'm a writer, too. I write contemporary fiction as well, and I love being inspired by other writers and talking to them about their work. I want to get their secrets. I want to know what Matthew Quick's secret is, because... He has written six books in like four years or something crazy like that. They've all been optioned for films and you might have seen the Silver Linings playbook that won the Oscar a couple of years ago. His latest book has already been optioned and I'm curious to see what uh, what he'll make of that. So Love May Fail is the name of his book. And I mention that now before we talk to him because I'd also like to thank Audible for sponsoring Satellite Sisters, particularly the Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. If you are a podcast fan, chances are you will love audiobooks it is a great way to pass a commute time or a long summer road trip or just while away the hours on the beach while you're staring at the ocean I can't think of anything better than listening to an audio version of one of your favorite books or a new book or a new author that you're trying out and you can find one free download today at this special url audiblepodcast.com/sisters audible dot com forward slash sisters if you go there today you can get a free audiobook download and a thirty day trial of audible. They have 150,000 titles there. Everything from the latest bestsellers to history classes. Really, you can find it all at Audible. Our people at Satellite Sisters have. We love hearing the books that you've downloaded recently and loved. And I pretty much guarantee that after hearing Matthew Quick talk about Love May Fail, you're going to want to download his new book. It's a story that's told from four different points of view. And I noticed that there are four different narrators on the audio version. So I bet it's just a fantastic uh, production value on that audio book. So Love May Fail is the book that we're talking about today. And you can find it at Audible. And you can download it for free at audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters thank you audible for supporting satellite sisters and thanks satellite sisterhood for supporting the people that support us we're going to take a quick break and when we come back writer matthew quick it is such a pleasure to be able to talk to Matthew Quick today on Satellite Sisters. His new book is called Love May Fail, and today is his pub date, so congratulations. But uh, you know his name. He has had a bunch of best-selling books out, including The Silver Linings Playbook, which was made into the Oscar-winning film, and The Good Luck of Right Now. His work has been translated into 30 languages and received a Penn Hemingway Award honorable mention. And he's a power player in Hollywood, and we're going to get to that. But uh, Matthew, thank you so much for being on satellite sisters today
2: hey thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here
1: you know today is actually your publication date do you get nervous when a new book comes out you've had like a rapid fire six books and what eight years or something is this an exciting time for you or is it nerve-wracking
2: it, it's a time when i feel incredibly grateful and lucky um you know that's never really lost on me i can remember when i thought i'd never publish a book that having been said, it's, it's also a time when you take something that, that has been yours for such a long time and you, you give it to the world and you have to kind of let go. And that process can always be a little disorienting. And I think that's true for any novelist.
1: That's a good word. Do you read reviews? Do you take in what other people say? Or do you feel like, mm, I'm just going to skip that part of the process?
2: you know every, every time i say i'm not going to read my reviews but then curiosity gets to me too yeah. much and um it's a terrible thing to do uh, even the good reviews can can mess with your head because you know as you know people experience the books in radically different ways um and it can be it can be again disorienting and it can it can really be alienating but maybe i'm just a sucker for punishment because i always read them you know and it's i think about them and Uh, I don't think it really helps at all. It doesn't doesn't change what I'm going to do. And, you know, I I read, uh, you know, so many artists have talked about this, but I remember Paul Newman once saying, you know, you shouldn't read your reviews because if they're bad, you'll be depressed. And if if they're good, they'll just blow your head up and they'll ruin the art. And I I tend to think that that's true, although I'm just not strong enough to follow that advice.
1: Well, here's my uh, thumbnail review of Love May Fail, your new novel. I laughed. I cried. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. So congratulations. You know, I like reading a book where I have no idea what's going to happen. And I, I don't say that lightly because a lot of books these days don't seem to have any plot. But your book is like crazy with plot.
2: Well, well thank you. You know, I, I try to keep it interesting. And, you know, um, I, I try to do me, you know, the best compliment that I love to hear is when people say this feels like a Matthew Quick book. Um, You know, and I just try to to write books that I would like to read. And, um, you know, so thank you. That's a wonderful compliment.
1: Love May Fail is the story of a woman who's in the midst of an existential crisis. So she returns home to sort of save herself and her favorite English teacher. And we're going to get to that. Her high school English teacher who's hit this kids himself. And on her quest, that's what she calls it, Portia, our main character, we meet some nuns, we meet her hoarder mother, we meet some heavy metal fans, we meet an ex-heroin addict who dreams of becoming a teacher himself. As you can see, there's a lot in this book. So, uh, Matthew, I put together a list of People I thought will love this book. Okay, I think women going through a divorce will love it. I think people who are fascinated by hoarders will enjoy this book. Uh, I think people who have loved and lost will like this book. Motley Crue fans, this book is for you. Folks from Jersey and Vermont, you're going to enjoy it. I think butchers will like this book because they get a nice, nice shout out. Teachers would-be novelists, nuns are going to enjoy the book, fans of nuns, and there are many. I think people who like funny books, people who like sad books, and people who like hopeful books will all love this book. Do you think I left anyone out?
2: <laughs> I want to hire you to do VR for me. That was wonderful. It's great. Uh, what an eclectic list, and I, and I love it. Thank you. You're making my day.
1: Now, do you, um, when you put together the plot of a book, how does it work for you? What is your process like? Do you start with character and then think about where the journey is going to go? Or do you think about the overall story and then you put the people in?
2: For me, I'm, I'm a voice-driven writer, so I, I need to have a voice first. And, um, you know, I try to hone a voice. And so it started with Portia, and I tried to figure out her voice. And, um, you know, obviously – what's going on in her life is going to affect what she says. So once I had her voice, that's really plot comes next. Why is she telling me what she's telling me? Why is she so frantic at the beginning? Um, But for me, it starts, you know, it starts with character really. And, you know, again, voice, I need to find those voices and then I'm off. And then the plot kind of develops as I go along.
1: So you tell the story, I think it's from five different people's voices, four or five different people's voices. So you get all those in a row and then you go, do you outline? Um, you know,
2: subconsciously, I think I outline, um, you know, in in this book, it was it was interesting, because it's, it's from four different points of view. And so there was a lot more to keep track of. I've never written a, a book from multiple points of view. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. So what was that like?
2: Uh, you know, I first, it was a lot of fun to write. But then when you finish, you go back and I realized that I had to put together a timeline. Um, because the book goes over, you know, it's, it, it's over the course of many years. So once I made the timeline for each characters, I, I saw all of these glaring inconsistencies, and I became quite obsessive about going through and making sure everything lined up, which was a lot more work than, than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, so maybe I taught myself a lesson, you know. It's much more <laughs> difficult to write multiple points of view, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it because you got to see the characters through the the eyes of of each other, the other characters, you get to jump into a bunch of different skulls. And, um, you know, that was a lot of fun for me.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking that what I was reading, there is a tremendous amount of heavy metal music knowledge in the book, but don't be scared (laughs) off by that. But I was thinking, boy, did he have this body of knowledge or did he have to go back and see what year that album was released or what tour date they were on? Motley Crue was on that year. Did, are you a big heavy metal fan? Or was this something you really needed to research? You
2: know, that all of that music in the late mid and late 80s came out when I was I was 10, 11, 12. So I I was a fan of Molly and my wife, too, growing up. And she's a little bit younger than than, than me. We both listened to it. We saw it on MTV. It was it was such a big part of our childhood. Um, But then, you know. I graduated to other things, things changed, you know, so I had to kind of go back. And my wife and I actually attended a Motley Crue concert to do research. And so I was the guy in the audience with a notebook, you know, writing everything down and, you know, writing, at you know, what everyone looked like. And that was so much fun. Um, and it was so weird to see people in their 50s and 60s with their kids and uh, you know just how different of a scene it is today than it was in the '80s, and it was fascinating. You know, it was so rich. Uh, the details um, from in the book when they go to the, the Motley Crue concert are, are taken directly from that, and it was it was just, just such a treasure chest of of details to 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 have that experience.
1: Now. Sisters, so you get your free consultation, then fifty percent off at pros dot com slash sisters. And prose is spelled P R O S E. prose. slash sisters. Thanks, prose. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling, you're grilling and for chilling sure. there yes. with your
0: with your butcher
1: box. What what do you got going
0: on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing: because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer.
1: Free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com/sisters and use code Sisters to choose your free for a year offer. Plus, get twenty dollars off your first order. Thanks, butcher box. Uh, Portia is our main character we're following, but there, there the other important character in the book is Mr. Vernon, who plays this critical high school English teacher. This teacher who believed in her and believed in his students and was inspirational and made her want to be uh, an English major and a writer. And of course, she gets completely off track about you know one semester into college, and twenty years later, none of that has happened. So she feels like when her marriage falls apart, that she has to go back. Her quest is to save Mr. Vernon, who uh, has fallen on some hard times. So you were a high school English teacher, I understand, for seven years. Have you been dying to write a character like that or reluctant to write a character like that since your experiences?
2: Both. Um, You know, I I definitely wanted to write, uh, I always wanted to write a a book about a student and a teacher finding each other 20 years after everyone leaves the classroom. Uh, and, And mostly because a lot of my students, well, not a lot, some of my students have, have contacted me years later. And it's it's really strange. I've been on both ends of contacting a teacher as a student and having students contact me. And what was once really a very clearly outlined relationship student-teacher 20 years later is, is not so. And it's it's very interesting to have those conversations. And, you know, I've had students come to me and tell me, you know, they'll say, Q, you know, you said this to me when I was 16, and I've been thinking about it for 15 years, and I'll have absolutely no recollection of <laughs> it, <laughs> and this kid's been thinking about it for 15 years, um, it's, you know, in their mind, it's this profound thing that I don't even remember, and it's the same with my teachers, too, um, you know, I had some wonderful teachers that, you know, I've contacted, and I'll tell them things that they've said to me that I've thought about, and, and it's clear that they don't remember a, a, as well, and so, I think it's something I've thought about a lot, both as a, a teacher and a student. And you know, I think that teaching is a really noble and sacred profession, and it's one, especially in our country, that you know we don't tend to value. Um, and, and I think that that's a shame because everybody out there has a teacher that that, that changed their life in some way. And and so I, I wanted to highlight that.
1: I think that's why Portia's character, even though the opening, I I can't even just try to describe the opening chapter in this book. You just have to read it or you can listen to it on Audible. I mean, it's just, it's a wild ride. It's hilarious. It's unbelievable. The first chapter, but then she sort of finds her center with this idea of saving her teacher. But I think that's why it's, she is a relatable character, even though she's led a pretty off the wall life. Um, It's because she does have this one teacher that has made a huge difference. And I think, as you said, a lot of us have that same teacher. One of the lines I loved in the book was when you said that students think they know their teachers and they don't that, um, you know, what are you doing back there in the teacher's lounge? What's, what's happening in the faculty lounge? Did you have like a teaching personality and then a real life personality?
2: Yeah, I think we all do, you know, um, And I think students have a student personality and a real-life personality as well. Uh, You know, I remember there was a a funny moment when I was teaching, when I got a knock on the door and the the English teacher that was teaching next door, she interrupted my class and she said, I'm reading these kids' essays. And she's like, they're all having sex with each other. They're (laughs) crazy. Like, I don't know if I can take all this truth. I told them to write the truth and not forget it. You know, I think you play this game in school, you know? like, uh, and, And for me, I always wanted to present the best version of me to my students. You know, I I always, I heard once when I was in in college that the best thing a teacher can do for a high school student is show them that you made it to adulthood and you were okay. And that line really struck me. Um, You know, I wanted to prove that it was okay to get to adulthood. But, of course, in your mid-20s, it's, you know, it's this time when you're trying to figure out who you are and you, know, you don't really know anything in your 20s. But no. yet you get up in front of these kids and pretend that you do, um, even though you're only a couple of years older than them. And you, know, you try to do the best job you can, but I think I repressed a lot of who I was in order to put their needs before mine. Um, particularly, it was interesting that I was teaching a lot of these kids how to write. I was teaching these kids about literature. I was telling them to chase their dreams. And and here I was, you know, not writing fiction and not doing the thing that I always wanted to do. And, you know, that, that became glaring as well. Um, and it felt, it felt really selfish when I quit teaching to write full time. Um, and I think teachers are kind of told, that, you know, you, you're supposed to have this mentality of being, you know, a public servant. You put the students' needs first. And I think that's a very noble thing, but there can be a trap in there as well. And, you know, around 30, I realized that, you know, I had things that I wanted to do as well and that, you know, those were important too.
1: Well, and you did them. You were able to do that. How long did it take from when you quit your full-time teaching job, which is pretty brave, you know, because uh, there are benefits and stuff, um, to your first novel? How, what was that period of time?
2: Um, I think it was about four years. Yeah.
1: So that's four, a while. That's a while. That's a while of being really poor and yeah, trying to make it.
2: No paycheck. <laughs> uh, you know, that was a incredibly humbling time, but you know, I know, I know fiction writers, good fiction writers that have been writing for, you know, 10, 15 years who haven't had a publication with a major house in New York. So, you know, four years really isn't, that long at the time, I felt really lucky to, to break in that quickly, but you know, it, it takes sacrifice, you know, it takes, um, if you want to live the writing life, you've got to be prepared for, for the long haul, you know, you can't play for, for one, day you've got to play for decades you know that that's really how you make a career in writing and i i think i knew that from the beginning i think i knew that you know you had to to put all the chips in and you had to you know play for for decades rather than just one year and i i still tend to look at it that way
1: um in in general love uh love may fail is a really hopeful book at the end but in some cases in the book with some characters Love really does fail. I mean, you have a lot happening in this book in terms of a range of emotions. It's funny, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, it's hopeful. Is that uh, that sort of the way you live your life with all those things happening at once, or is it easier to put it in a book? And uh, how, you know, it's a range of emotions. I would just say that that's impressive that you can nail all those things in 300 pages.
2: Well, thank you. Um, I'm a pretty emotional guy. (laughs) I I tend to channel people's emotions. Uh, I feel the world very strongly. Um, You know, and that that sensitivity can be tough. You know, if I walk into a room, you know, I'm going to speak at the Free Library of Philadelphia tomorrow night, and there'll probably be a couple hundred people there. That energy in that room is very overwhelming to me um, uh, because I think, you know, I I, I do – I I do feel the world strongly and, you know, I think getting back to what you're saying about, you know, ultimately being hopeful, but there is so much tragedy. There's a lot of
1: tragedy in this book.
2: I think you need both really to, to emphasize uh, the good. And, you know, love may fail is, is a book about common people finding, you know these really small beautiful moments that really don't mean anything to the rest of the world like the good moments in the book would never be found in the paper like the, you know they're not going to be on the news nobody nobody is going to report on them but yet it means so much to these characters and i think we all have those moments um you know for me it's I, I, i'm i'm much more grateful when i receive a letter from a former student who read one of my books and really saw that, you know, it matched up with what I was trying to teach them 20 years ago. Um, to me in, in many ways, even though nobody really cares about that, like that, that's a great moment that I hold on to. That's a heartbeat of my career. And then sometimes, sometimes it even trumps, you know, like being reviewed well in the times or, you know, um, uh, you know, Although you'll
1: take that too. I mean, who's you know, going to? You will take that. You know,
2: I'm not to downplay that, but I think. Yeah. I think if you try, if you try to define your personality on the accolades of you know the the big the big grand things, I think that you'll also be let down by those things. And you know, it's the small things that save you in the end. Um, and I think that's what my characters find, and that's that's really what I believe.
1: You know, in your acknowledgments, I noticed that you did. You thanked all your students. You thanked it was very genuine. The people that came to your readings and bought your bought your books. There is a huge part sense of gratitude when you read your acknowledgments. And I know you're starting out on a tour now, and there'll be lots of information at satellite sisters. dot com if you want to catch uh, Matthew Quick anywhere. Um, What is it like at your readings? Do you do a reading? Do you talk? How do you put together, you know, an evening, say tomorrow at the library? What's that going to sound and look like?
2: Usually I'll I'll talk about my personal life for, um, you know, about a half hour to 45 minutes. And I'll I'll tell stories that, um, you know, when you read the book, you'll understand exactly why I told those stories. And for me, I'm not really interested in reading the book aloud because that's not how I want people to experience it. Um, you know, I'd rather people read it and create that voice and create that movie for themselves. I think that's the joy of reading. Uh, and I know for for me, whenever I've gone to readings and I'm always I'm, I'm never really interested in listening to an author read his or her own work. Uh, I'm, I'm much more interested in listening to them talk about their lives or, you know, their process or, you know, what really influenced the, the writing of their books. I find that you know incredibly more fascinating. So I, I also just hate the sound of my voice reading my own words.
1: Really? So you'll never do your own audiobook. That's out. You're never gonna read your own I, audiobook.
2: <laughs> nothing against audiobooks, but I can't even listen to the my own audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> the actors, you know, the voice actors are wonderful. They're all great. Sometimes I select them. You know, they they allow me to pick them, but it's really hard for me to listen to that because it doesn't match the voice in my own head. Um, it's the same when you watch the, the film adaptation of, of your book as well. It can be, it can be jarring because it's not what you saw. It's it's what someone else sees. But so I usually talk and then I'll do Q and a um, for, you know, about a half hour maybe. And then, and then we'll do the signing. And, you know, I, I try to, to talk to everybody who comes through the line, um, give everybody eye contact, you know, to talk to everybody. And sometimes that can make the line last, you know, for a while. And, i always I always feel like I want to get up and hug the last person in line who
1: for
2: an hour and a half to talk to me or two hours or whatever and i I'm curious I mean sometimes I ask like, why did you stand here all that time just to talk to me but uh, you know it's it's always overwhelming i'm I'm exhausted at the end of an event in in a good way you know right.
1: Well, it's a very different um, – it's just a very different skill set. It's very different than what you do all day, which is sit at a computer and write. And then it's – for a lot of authors, it's torture to go out on the road. They picked writing so they don't ever have to speak to people again. And then and then they couldn't imagine doing what you're doing, standing up in front of 200 people, telling them about your lives, and then talking to them and hugging them. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, it's crazy for me because um... – I, I taught for seven years, so I have I have this skill of being able to get up in front of people and pretend like I'm an extrovert. And so when people see me, they they think they th- and I, I say this to, to try to help people who are introverted because I I, I am an introvert by by nature. I, I'm much better off alone, but I can fake it for about you know two <laughs> hours. But then I fall down afterwards. Like I go to the hotel and I fall down. You know I I can't even stand up afterwards. And so um, you know you. it's it's tough. I, I love it. I enjoy it. But, you know, my natural habitat is in my office alone with made up people creating fiction, you know, so...
1: I wanted to ask a little bit about how you're able to separate, you know, your writing time from the rest of your business time. I mean, you mentioned the movie adaptations. Uh, You're crazy successful in that. You have, I think, six books out. Six books either have already been made into films or in development now. I read that you were working on a screenplay. You're out promoting books, um, which, again, takes a lot of time and energy. How do you just sort of shut off the business side of your creative life and go into write. Are you finding that more and more difficult? Or is that a skill that you, you know, you've had, and you're just sticking with it?
2: No, it's, it's, it's hard, you have to kind of, you know, be very good about your schedule. You know, I know when I'm going out on book tour, I'll try to write, but I, I in the back of my head, I know I'm not going to write any fiction when I'm on book tour. Uh, you know, and that's just something that you have to accept, you know, it's time to promote, you put on that hat, and you go out and promote, or if it's time to do PR for, you know, like silver linings, I did a lot of PR and, and I went on tour with the Weinstein company and, and it's amazing, but you just have to say to yourself, you're not going to get any creative work done during this time. And, you know, it's, it's what buys you, um, time later on to, mm-hmm. to the door. And, you know, I really, I really saw that fiction writing fiction is my my safe place, so when i 'm on the road, as much as I enjoy speaking with people or doing interviews like today like i 'm really you know I appreciate the fact that you 're interested in a, and I love doing this, and I love speaking with you today sure. you know after doing this for two weeks you know it 's kind of almost a reward to go back to fiction writing and, and I think that 's the way it should be if it was the other way around. I think there'd probably be a problem, you know, Um, (laughs) you know, the fiction writing has got to be the thing that you love to do. Um,
1: Because it's hard. It's physically, it's hard to write a book to focus for that long. How long, how long does it take you to create a novel like uh, love may fail? What is that? What's the timeline for that?
2: You know, I, I tend to write fast and furious. Okay. uh, And it's because I have an obsessive personality. (laughs) I actually think it's like a flaw. (laughs) Um, but I'll, I'll write a novel usually in in about four to six months. Wow.
1: That's fast. Yeah.
2: It's crazy. And my wife is always trying to get me to take time off and, you know, I, I'll write and when I'm writing, I'll, I'll write 12 hours a day. Like I'll just, I'll go all out and I will do no, I'll do nothing else. And I'm not so sure that that's healthy, but it's just, it's just the way that I work. My mind kind of locks onto a problem and I get obsessively. I want to solve it. Like I want to, I want to figure out these characters and, it's allowed me to create uh, a lot of work in a short period of time, and you know my agent loves it, and you know people. But it takes its toll too, and you know after eight years of doing that, uh, you know I've been thinking, you know, wouldn't it be nice to take two years to work on a book, and <laughs> you know maybe it'd be better. I don't know, maybe the book would be better. <laughs> yeah.
0: See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com
1: or see a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's FrameBridge.com. Thanks, FrameBridge. Liz and Lee and here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we <laughs> the The movie piece of it, because I was I went to see uh, Nick Hornby uh, read the other day at Romans in Pasadena, where I live, and I love his writing, and it's very similar to yours. I think you guys have a lot of similar skill sets, and you know he's been able to make a career doing a lot of different kind of writing, which I really admire. Um, but when we get to the Q and A, like. Every single question is about movie adaptations and you could tell by about the third one, like, did you like so-and-so in the role of so-and-so that even he's starting to get annoyed with the movie adaptation question. And uh, so I was like, I'm not going to ask Matthew about his adaptations (laughs) just in solidarity with Nick Hornby. But at the same time, you are sort of living the dream. I mean, but as a novelist, is is it your goal to get the book, you know, adapted for a movie or not? Are you thinking about that at all when you're writing the fiction?
2: Yeah, I want to say no, I'm not thinking yeah. about that. I think subconsciously you are. Um, you know, there was a moment when I was in my MFA program and I was secretly writing Silver Linings. And I went to see Little Miss Sunshine in the theater. And, uh, you know, I was in the MFA and academia, there's, there's, it tends to be a lot of pressure to write literary novels. And once upon a time, I thought I was going to be the next great literary writer. And, you know, I watched little miss sunshine and I left the theater and I said, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed that story. Like I, it's a quirky, fun story. And, you know, those, those are the kind of stories that I should be writing because that's, that's what I love. And I love literary fiction too. Like I I read widely, but um, there was part of me that knew that that was the type of story that, that I'd probably, that that's what was in me to tell. And it was kind of freeing when I made that transition during the MFA and said, let, just let yourself tell those kinds of stories. And I never dreamed that, you know, I'd be making a deal with the Weinstein company in 18 months. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've actually sat down with Dayton and Ferris who directed little miss sunshine. I've, I've had coffee with them because we were going to do a project together Um, And I told them that story and, you know, they were very grateful to hear it. But uh, I I think, you know, this part of me without, you know, making it sound mystical or whatever, you know, like it it just makes sense that um, when when you look at film and that kind of story resonates with you, um, you know, that those types of people will be attracted to your work as well. Um, It's kind of like putting up a flag. Uh, you know i was i was trying to write all this really literary fiction and then i said you know what i'm going to write some stories that i think are great um that i think that uh, regular people that are not in my mfa would probably get a kick <laughs> out of you know uh, the people i grew up with the guys that go to the eagles game and you know some good things happened from that and it was really freeing for me and so i know you know even now people will say oh you're just writing screenplays you know that's what the critics will say and that's not true, you know. I, I try to write a good story, and I, I don't try to follow any rules. You know, I just try to write a Matthew Quick novel, and the fact that Matthew Quick novels are, are sought after in Hollywood, or that they translate well to film, well, so be it. That's great, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very happy for that. But I never was really chasing the dollar, and I, I never realized, I never thought to myself. If you write this type of story, you're going to be at the Oscars in in five years, like. And that was such. It never even crossed my mind. Yeah, was,
1: you couldn't have predicted that. There's uh, no way you could have you could have done that. You, you couldn't. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that.
2: But I do think that I'm very influenced by film. You know, my wife and I go to the movies every week. We we watch a lot of film. I read a lot of books too. But you know, I think, um, you know, when I have conversations with people in L.A. I can have those conversations because, you know, I, I love film. And, you know, I think in terms of, you know, three, three act structure. And um, so it was, it's, it wasn't a crazy leap for me to make.
1: So what's next for you? I, I know you're busy with a book tour, so I want to, I want to let you go here. Uh, but uh, what's next for you? What's your next writing project? Is it a novel or is it, or is it a screenplay?
2: Well, I I finished a novel called Every Exquisite Thing for Little Brown, and it is a young adult book, which I'm super excited about. And the Weinstein Company is developing that for film, and I'm also writing a screenplay for the Weinstein Company. And so that's my current project. Oh, good. Then I'm under contract with HarperCollins to write another adult book as well, or a, a book intended for the adult audience (laughs) adult books (laughs) sounds so creepy
1: (laughs) it does sound a little creepy in fact I I I have a 17 year old son at home who's a who's a real reader and so when I finished this I said oh I think I I think you would really enjoy this because he just had a great year in English lit and loves his teacher and wants to be an English lit lit major and then I thought oh but and then I said well it has some kind of adult language in it (laughs) Love may fail, but I think a 17-year-old boy can handle this, don't you?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I don't know that they they ever use curse words in in high schools these days, do they? I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he does go to an all-boys school, so I'm sure not.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. he' never, never thought about any of it. Well,
1: Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today on Satellite Sisters. I really enjoyed Love May Fail. Uh, if you are, are going to be in uh, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, North Carolina, Boston, Matthew will be making appearances. It sounds like a good show. It sounds like a good talk. And then ah. he has to go lie down afterwards, people. So uh, go and all. support him. I'll put up his uh, a link to his website at SatelliteSisters.com. Thank you so much all all the luck in the world to you
2: hey it was an absolute pleasure thanks for having me on
1: Thanks to Matthew Quick for taking time out of his busy day to talk to us here on Satellite Sisters. Uh, I really admire that when he said that he had found his voice, um, that he was sitting in that MFA program and he realized, I am never going to write the kind of literary fiction that other people aspire to, but I'm going to find my own voice. And I think that's true. When you read um, a Matthew Quick book, it's a singular voice. You know you're reading it and it just – it just – moves so fast. The pace is so fast and so tight. And, uh, there's just an unexpected laugh line on every page, but there's also these unexpected lines of real heartbreak. So I appreciate that he took the time to talk to us today, especially, uh, because we had some technical issues in the beginning. If you're a fan of Satellite Sisters, if you're a regular listener, um, many times we've espoused my mother's theory of, um, broken appliances, just letting it rest. Just (laughs) don't call the repair man just let it rest for a day or two and then miraculously the dishwasher or the washing machine will start working again well Matthew and I were having some Skype problems he could hear me perfectly but I couldn't hear ha- him and we were trying to troubleshoot with uh instant messaging and um and we at one point I just said this is what happens when two writers try to do technology and he laughed via I am so I suggested you know why don't we just log out of Skype Let it rest for a minute and reconnect and see what happens. And sure enough, uh, it worked. I could hear him and he could hear me. And I appreciate that. So again, for more information on his book or his tour schedule, uh, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. I want to remind you too, that special URL for Audible, if you're interested in trying Audible and downloading Matthew's book today, you can go to AudiblePodcast.com or forward slash sister, audiblepodcast.com, forward slash sister. Thanks to all the authors who have taken the time to speak to us here on Satellite Sisters. Keep reading, sisterhood, and don't forget, call your satellite sister.
3: And see if maybe I can lighten his load. Well, he opened the door and he thanked me. See the sun keep